Firing Tom Herman and hiring Steve Sarkeesian is like driving by an Applebee's and pulling into Chili's. If you need a 15-yard personal foul penalty, I'm your guy, okay? You were not good. I don't want to name names, but Caleb Lohner cost me. <laughs> we love you, Coach Rose. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is BYU Athletic Director Tom Holmo. Always a treat to have the one and only Tom Holmo with us on the show. Tom, uh, welcome back. In hindsight, let's start here. How would you define the 2020 BYU football season? Oh, super, super fun. I, I say that. I know that game day to me is what it's all about. And we had a bunch of game days. And so I just think back on the season and the week of the game was kind of topsy-turvy usually, but on game day, just to be in Lavelle Edwards Stadium or to be in the other stadiums where we got to play, I just really cherish those moments. And as I look back on that, it was fun. That's the word. Take us back to June because this team starts practicing in July. And then August, obviously, the, the schedule gets whittled down to as low as two games. What were you feeling then, and how did you make this season happen? Well, it, it just was a lot of people that were trying to create something out of nothing when you don't really know how to do it. And so I, I, used, I get a lot of credit for this, and, and I understand how it was so unique. But there were certainly so many people and so many pieces to the puzzle to put it together. And I, I just look back at it, and there were just – I've said this before. There were some good days and some real bad days. But I think most of the days were pretty good. You just kind of chisel away at it. You, every day you try to take a few steps forward. Uh, you get knocked back a couple times. I learned a lot about some uh, people in the business that you can really trust and some people that you couldn't. <laughs> I look back, and, and I think it was a great experience personally for me. Uh, I think everybody in the COVID uh, era has their own experiences. Mine are unique because they're mine. And I'm sure if you had uh, a thousand people on as um, uh, guests, they would have their own COVID experience. So I kind of treasure it because it's mine. BYU knocks off UCF 49-23 in the Boca Raton Bowl to go 11-1. and uh, the Cougars, we think, are going to finish in the top 10 of the AP poll for just the fourth time in program history. But I have to ask, because it came up late in the season, how seriously was BYU considering playing multiple bowl games if that was even an option? And I was supposed to tell you that? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to say anything right away and during it. I, I follow social media for our fans that are trying to get involved in BYU athletics and the football team. And there were a lot of questions about that. Uh, the, it did actually come up. And I'll say that now we, we had, I'm not going to say opportunities, but there were conversations, but those conversations were um, taken off the table rather quickly, not by us. And it was just deemed that it was a non-starter by people um, in high places, so ESPN. that would say, no, 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 we're not doing this. And, and more, I think more, um, you know, just people in college football, we're not going to go down this road. We're not opening this can of worms. 2020 and the CFP and college football, the whole season, it's been uh, a crazy adventure. We're not going to open Pandora's box and have a second bowl game this year. Forget it. 
And so did the chance come up? You look, it was just fun. And I'm the only one that knows kind of that conversation, <laughs> but uh, I thought to myself for about five minutes, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the coastal Carolina situation. So obviously BYU and, and you talked about it and Kalani talked about it. You guys were hoping to get as many games as possible. Kalani kept saying 12 was the goal, right? Um, you ended up getting 12 of the bowl game, which was incredible. Um, were there other games? Obviously, Washington became uh, public and that whole thing, but were you trying to get other games or were you waiting for the right one and Coastal was the right one? And are you still like, yes, it was worth it to take that game? I think all those are possible suggestions are accurate. We were waiting to find the best games, but we would also entertain other games. There came a point late in the season where we realized it really doesn't do us any good to play this game other than the fact that it's a game and our players wanted to play games, but there came a point when Kalani and I would just say to each other, look, you know, we can't just do this for the entertainment value of wanting to play because as the season progressed, it became very apparent to us that our players were beginning to tire out in, in a different way than in past years, maybe like you would see from other schools and other conferences across the country, it became a pretty big drain. And so Kalani and I had to be somewhat wise and kind of take that decision out of the players' hands. They would have played 15 games if we would have let them, but it wasn't going to be in their best interest. And, and it's hard to get the pulse of the, every member of the team, but we just felt it was probably the right thing to do to play the games we did. When Coastal came up, that was one of the games where we said this, this could be good for us. We felt that would we get into the top and uh, in, into a New Year's Six at the time? We didn't know if it was happen or not, but it gave us a chance. And I think when we talked to the players about it and the players understood what was on the line, we get to play a, a, a ranked team, then that was one that was worthwhile. So was there a point where you realized, and maybe it was after Tom, that, oh, even if BYU had won the game, it still didn't mean a New Year's Six was going to happen, which was, I don't know for you, but it was, for us it was really disappointing. It was like, wait, what? Even if? Uh, because this committee didn't really appreciate, obviously, non-Power 5 teams this year. Yeah, I tried to not let myself go there because it really is out of our control. I knew that if we played the game, then it had a chance to move the needle. If we didn't play the game, we would have to rely on whatever. That's out of our control if we didn't play the game. Now, people will say, well, you could have been undefeated. At that point in time, it just didn't seem that alluring. It seemed more alluring to try to get as high as we could and to go as far as we could and to play games that our players wanted to play. And so that's why we took that game. BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo on BYU Sports Nation. When you look at what you pulled off with many other individuals helping you as well, as you pointed out, in 2020 in these last-minute schedulings, how will this impact your scheduling philosophy moving forward in the independence era? Well, not much, because most of our games are scheduled out to about <laughs> 2030. So we won't really be able to affect the future schedule unless – there's changes in the schedule. Now, I can't imagine that we would change anything in our schedule. <laughs> like we haven't done that in the past. Um, there's always flexibility, but as you look and see our schedules, they're pretty locked down, and uh, there's been a little bit of movement. We actually had a little bit of movement 
uh, in the last week or so for a couple uh, down the road, a few years, but that will continue and you'll learn about it generally if they, the other school, leaks it, or if we get close to the season where we're going to release it. Obviously, there's been a lot of dialogue around schedules, and I've been at the heart of one end of it and, and whatever. But did this season um, indicate anything to you as to how BYU is perceived with a schedule, with winning? Um, and obviously, like a little pro, more protein or power fives, right, a, a, which wasn't in your control, six canceled, were needed to probably be in that New Year's Six conversation. But was there anything you learned in how this played out, winning against all these teams, but the perception of non-power five teams in general? You know, I think that, you know, your com- your uh, opinion and mine on this uh, would be different, Jerem. I think that this was a, a such a unique year. I think it's an sure. asterisk year. I say asterisk, not in a negative sense, just uh, in an unusual sense. And I would think that if we played a similar schedule every year like this, I think, one, we learned what the CFP thought. Two... I think a lot of people would become tired of it. Uh, three, I think we have the ability to continue to get better. And there'll be times when we are not going to run the table like we did this year uh, with, a, with one blemish. But I think um, our, all along from the time we first started with the scheduling of independence, I think it's gotten a little bit too tough at times for sure. There's no question about that. But you, you either get those games or you don't. And if you don't take some, you're not going to get others. And so we're, 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 if I could go back to the very beginning of independence, then I might have a little bit more experience in scheduling. But we can't. <laughs> we did what we did, and that's where it goes. So I would say as I look at next year's schedule – it's tougher than this year's schedule for sure. But I think everybody realizes we're, we were better personnel-wise, coaching experience-wise, and we had a lesser schedule. And that was one of the th- – those were the number of things that led to the season that we had. And next, was- year, next year will be a totally new, completely different experience. New leaders, new captains, new positions – new coaches, there'll be so many factors, new teams were playing, new fans in the stadium, all, everything changes, and every year's a new year. Yeah, a lot of that makes sense, absolutely. And this kind of plays into what I think outsiders of BYU don't get, which is BYU isn't playing for a New Year's Six game every year per se. There are other aims and missions. Yes, you want it, but it's ESPN and it's quality games and it's a fan base and it's boosters and it's tickets and everything else. So uh, I guess there's some happy medium somewhere, right, in a non-asterisk year uh, where you go. And, and what, are we, what are we hitting, 10 or 11 years in independence, right? Things evolve. They yeah. certainly evolve. Yeah, sure. Tom, as we look at what Zach Wilson did specifically – and we're talking about an all-time season. You know it better than most. And you played with some all-time quarterbacks at BYU. Where does what Zach Wilson did in 2020 rank to compared to some of the other incredible seasons that other legendary BYU quarterbacks have had? I think it was right up there. I think it's uh, the schedule was probably similar to some of the um, quarterbacks that are legendary. Um, being in the WAC was maybe similar to a WAC schedule. 
Um, we, we didn't get a chance to play a lot of non-conference games. I think as I looked, there were some. Uh, Mark Wilson played uh, in the, against Texas A&M. And Ty Detmer played against Miami. Um, Max played against Oklahoma. I, I can think of some off the top of my head, but his one season statistically was remarkable, and it's right up there at the top. I mean, his – his statistics in comparison are right up there with the great ones. Now it's you, it's, it, you can't just do it on statistics because like I was there when Mark Wilson played and some people don't even know who Mark Wilson is. Let me remind you, he's in the college football hall of fame. And when Mark accomplished what he did for the time, it was remarkable. Same with Giff Nielsen, same with Gary Scheide, same with Virgil Carter. And, you know, unfortunately, people forget those because the stats aren't going to compare. But if you look at what Zach did, he'll be remembered for the stats, but also the magic. And that's one of the things about our quarterbacks that are um, in the, the lore of Cougar football is the ones that are remembered had magical years. And it's not just based on stats. Yeah, Virgil Carter had a 599 total offense game in the 60s. I mean, just incredible <laughs> stuff, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, speaking of the 60s, did want to ask you this. Eldon Forti passed away yesterday, the Phantom. We're going to talk about him in a couple of minutes here. But uh, uh, he had a rushing record, the single game record of 272 for 54 years. First retired uh, number in BYU football history. What kind of legacy did Eldon Forti leave? Well, I think the legacy that I'll remember is I knew him. I knew him as a friend. I knew him and Janice very well. When I was um, a player, I got to meet him. And then being the athletic director, I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with him and Janice and, and sit down and have memories of their days. First and foremost for me is he was a gentleman. He was a great person. He's like your your, your you'd like to be the example of any BYU football player. Secondly, he's a legend. He's the first player to have his jersey retired at BYU. The, he has a nickname, the Phantom. And, and from people that were friends of his, that played with him at the time, that saw him play, it's, it's bigger than life. It's almost urban legend around him. And so with, uh, with Eldon's passing, it's a, it's a passing of – a big, big piece of BYU football and BYU athletics. And let's just say the university because he was probably the first legend. Well said from Tom Homo, the BYU athletic director. Oh, by the way, it's game day for BYU men's basketball against number one Gonzaga in Spokane. We were talking football this whole time. But the game of games tonight, and albeit on a few days' notice, just like the Coastal Carolina situation, Tom. So what do you expect from the BYU men tonight in a very unprecedented situation opening up West Coast Conference play against the Zags? You know, I just love the fact that Coach Pope and Coach Few are – they get the spirit of the sport. And this is a game that they put together. I didn't have anything to do with it. These two coaches got together and said, hey, we're not going to miss a game down the road. We have two games scheduled with Gonzaga down the road, but we're not going to wait and see if it's going to be a good situation when that time comes. We both have an opening. Let's play now. And that's the spirit that you have to have to carve through COVID at this time. Obviously, we've missed three games, and we're going to make those up, but we're going to have to be super creative. And, and right now in scheduling, 
I don't get any credit for the basketball scheduling. Uh, Coach Pope and his staff and Brian Santiago, they're working their tails off. It's almost like what football was, but in a really condensed uh, time period. So I'm a little bit tired and fatigued from scheduling. (laughs) And now the boys get to do basketball. But we're in super good hands. And this is a good witness to see that this game came off tonight. I look at I've, I've been I was listening to the show a little bit earlier, and this is nonsense talking about how many points would be a victory. Come <laughs> on, we're not going down that road. We're going up there for one reason and one reason only. And I do respect the fact that this might be the best Gonzaga team ever. And I, when I say might, I might say it is the best Gonzaga team ever. Now they have to finish off the season, but. Don't you want to play that team? Yeah. If I had oh, absolutely. left, I'd want to be on that court up there tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a former committee member, you know, this is going to help the net ranking no matter what, right? <laughs> yeah, let's go. These are games where you dream about when you're a kid. I like what I just feel like when, when I go to the Marriott Center and you think about that game against Gonzaga oh. last year, one of the things I do in a packed venue is I look around and I look for the little kids. I do it all the time. <laughs> and I just look at them and I look into their eyes and I see them dreaming. And what they're dreaming about is give me a chance to play in a game like this one day. And it's tonight. And that's what our players, their dreams are coming true tonight. Now they'll stare into the cardboard eyes in the kennel, right? <laughs> <laughs> the dreams are oh, still don't, happening. Don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, the ultimate competitor. Uh, we commend you, th- to say the least, on what you've done for BYU football and the scheduling madness and navigating through uh, COVID. And not to mention the all-in fundraiser, uh, which has just been so fun to watch and see BYU Sports Nation and Cougar Nation come together and, and raise funds for that. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's get the update real quick. How is the all-in fundraiser going? It's, it's amazing. Um, I can't wait to, at, when we finish the campaign to be able to come in and express my gratitude. I can do it now, but that's a little bit, uh, you know, a little cheat on that. But it's fantastic. We're throwing out these numbers every Monday. We're up to about 6,000 donors. Whoa. We're at about $11 million. And it's, we're going to go a little bit longer because the, the money is still coming in. The donations, the letters, the sentiments, the narrative, it's unreal. And it's just it's, it's overwhelming and humbling for me to be able to see how Cougar Nation is getting behind our players, our teams, and our coaches. It's, it's unbelievable. Tom, we're all in with you, brother. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate the lengthy interview. One more thing, boys. Coach Rose. Oh, absolutely. Prayers out. Prayers out. Yeah. He's, he's, he's had some good, uh, positive things in the last uh, you know, few days, and he's fighting like crazy and doing a great job. And I just want to remind Cougar Nation, prayers out to the Roses. No question. That's beautiful. Yeah, we send our love as well. Thank you for bringing that up. And uh, we've enjoyed the updates from Cheryl and the Rose family. He's, uh, he's a walking miracle in a lot of ways. Thanks so much, Tom. Go Cougs. You got it. Tom Homo, the athletic director on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He, he, he can't just throw up a rose like that and not feel something. Wow. Um, so, yeah, a lot to take in from that uh, interview. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio.
Cougar football finds itself in some unfamiliar territory. What, in the top 15? We move into 2021 offseason. Yes, and was, I think BYU is going to finish in the top 10. Yeah. Because of everybody Why that's not? lost above. Indiana totally. down, Coastal Carolina. At this point, loses. it's not a think. It's just a logical explanation. Like they're yeah. going to be, I think they're going to be number 10. How, how great is that? It's awesome. Fourth man. highest ever finish yeah. in the AP poll if BYU finishes at number 10. But I don't have this team fourth best ever. I put them in the top 10 for sure, but... That's a conversation for another day. I think this was a great season. I'm interested to figure out exactly. Mark that down for May 12th. Uh, how about no? Let's do it in a couple weeks because BYU has got to play some games. <laughs> we got shows to fill here. Let's go. Okay. As we mentioned, it's going to be an interesting and yeah. a fun, yeah. loaded off season for BYU with so many different pieces to replace, including now offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes, who, as we learned, has taken the job as the offensive coordinator at Baylor. Like, like Zach, he's taking the money. Yo, can, you, can you blame him? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Let's ask the question. Between Coach Grimes and eight players that have officially declared for underclassmen, who's going to be the toughest to replace? This is presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. So here is our list of four that we have uh, narrowed it down to. Jeff Grimes, Kyrus Tonga, Brady Christensen, or Dax Milne. Who's going to be the toughest we, to replace? We don't include Zach in this because obviously he's yes. the toughest. Yes. Uh, I say Brady Christensen. What did we learn from the blind side? That the left tackle is a very ex- valuable member of the offense. Protects a right-handed quarterback. BYU has right-handed quarterbacks um, in, in the pipeline. I think it's Brady Christensen. First-team All-American. I don't feel like I need to say much more in this conversation. Brady Christensen is arguably the best BYU player at his position since Luke Staley, right? Um, according to the nation, but it depends on who who was in that position that year, right? Zach Wilson was amazing this year. If Zach Wilson is playing in 1987, he might win the Heisman or something. You know what I mean? But in 2020, he's the fourth or fifth best quarterback nationally. I think Brady Christensen did such an amazing job this year. Just clean pockets. You think, how did Zach Wilson do what he did? A lot of that is because he was untouched off times. Why is Zach Wilson getting 10 rushing touchdowns as well? Because the O-line blocks really well. His offensive line was awesome. So, yeah, I, I think all these guys will be hard to replace. Like, is Gunnar Romney is the next Dax Milne. BYU doesn't have a Kairos Tonga in the pipeline. Has BYU had a Kairos Tonga all time? That's that's my thing. That's why I say it's Kairos, because okay. I don't know that BYU's ever had a player like Kairos ever at nose tackle. So how do you find that guy? I mean, there were some guys in the transfer portal that BYU was hoping maybe well, to get. those guys go to Utah now. Like, before they would have come to BYU, but they go to Utah. Or they go to Baylor. <laughs> I think or they go to specifically. Baylor. The LSU now transfer. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, look at that. Okay. okay yeah. So I, for me, it's... Brady Christensen is an unbelievable player. Wait, did Jeff know a couple weeks ago? Okay, I'm putting two and two together. That is a huge spot to fill on yeah. the blind side. But, All of these are. But because BYU had depth at the offensive line, and we feel like they still be pretty good, even losing Brady. First-team All-American good, though. But who does BYU have coming back on the defensive line that's anything close to Kairos Tonga? And again, as you pointed out, and I was going to say this if you didn't, he always never had a player like him, ever. So it's just hard to find that guy. Yeah. And, and, and let's talk about Kairos for a second. I think to some degree he underachieved a little bit. Well, his, num- I, I, his numbers I thought, are not like, whoa! I, I, I wanted a little bit more from him. Um, I don't think he's a day two guy. I think he's a day three guy now. And I was hoping he'd become a day two guy. And if he was his best, best, best self, and he was good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he wasn't good. I'm just saying I think he could have been like, 
unbelievable. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't work out as well. And hopefully on film, the evaluators are, are seeing much more than I know. They're seeing which, him being double teamed 90% of the time. Obviously, they're way more uh, insightful than I am uh, on this particular thing. But hopefully he's uh, like a Danny Shelton type from Washington who, yeah, you put him in at nose and he's going to be good. My main issue, though, is he wasn't a stay-in-the-whole-drive guy. Like Maybe that was BYU's just philosophy of line changes and whatnot, but Kyrus is awesome. He's going to be an NFL draft pick. Uh, I just was, I think, hoping he was a day two guy, and I'm guessing he falls to day three. Isn't it interesting when we're like, oh, man, we hopefully Kyrus gets into day two, when a couple of years ago we're like, I just hope BYU has a player drafted into the NFL. Now, Trevor well, that's a pathetic standard. that he thinks yeah. that BYU is going to have as many as four players. Four. Taken. So who are the four? Zach, Kyrus, Brady, and Dax? Dax he thinks Dax? Um, yeah, D- Dax could be a day three guy. Um, I think when Dax gets into uh, the pro day situations and those workouts, he will shine. Because on the surface, he's going to get stereotyped. Okay, here's the slot guy. Here's the you know slow white guy with good hands. No, no, no. He's like he's fast. And he has incredible hands and great route running. Like he's the closest thing Bureau's had to Austin Collie in a minute, right? And I think Gunnar Romney is the next evolution of this. Yes, Gunnar Romney got a little bit hurt and played second fiddle a little bit to Dax eventually. And Gunnar Romney is going to do what uh, Dax did to some great degree. I don't know if he's going to get a thousand yards against seven power fives in Boise State, but I think he can have like an eight hundred yard year, eight touchdown year. Gunnar was the guy for the first two weeks of the season. He, he was, went a hundred three yes. games in a row, or yeah, something, right? right? And then he got a little bit banged up, right? And BYU's not playing Texas State, La Tech, Troy for a bunch of weeks like next year. It's going to be power five corners, right? And you're going to have uh, better talent. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Again, this is the cost of business. This is a casualty of greatness. Is going 11-1, you're going to lose people. But guess what? I will take it. You know what You know what Utah did after 08? They weren't that good for a little while in there when they got into the Pac-12. But guess what? It was totally worth it. Like, if BYU struggles next year, it was worth it. But I don't think they will. I think BYU goes to a bowl game. I think BYU competes for a win. Let's go. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Earlier this morning, I spoke with Olympic silver medalist and gymnastics head coach Guard Young about it on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Okay, Guard, 10 months ago, all of a sudden the season ended. Here we are uh, 10 months later, and 2021 season is about to begin tomorrow night at the Maverick Center on BYU TV and the best of Utah meet. So what's life been like as you prepared for the craziest season ever? Well, um, we've actually been really busy, and I prefer it that way. So happy that we are extremely busy. Um, You know, in preparation for any type of gymnastics season, uh, that's really unconventional this year. You know, first and foremost, you know, my, my number one concern as the coach here is the safety of my athletes. Um, not only safety of, of, you know, coronavirus and, and, and all the, everything that a pandemic brings, but, you know, have they physically gotten themselves ready to compete, you know, in a safe, in a safe environment. And so right now, you know, I can answer that they are ready. They are safe. They're ready to go out and compete safely. We've done all the COVID testing protocols. And now it's just, we're, I'm just excited that they actually get an opportunity to compete. And how many of these meets we're going to get this year, we have no idea. 
Um, and we just know that each one that we they're given to us is, is a blessing. And, and we're just going to enjoy the fact that we get to do gymnastics this year. And we're excited about the showcase on our air with the team tomorrow night. We'll break that down in a moment. But what have the preparations been like in the preseason? Because we've heard from all different teams in the NCAA in terms of, uh, you know, we've been going for a long time. We got burnout at the end. Yet you have a season. You want to be ready, but you got to compete and you got to entertain these athletes to some degree at some point with competition. So how have you managed all that as you now have a season approaching? Yeah, you know, I mean, we have our processes that we do every preseason. You know, we have a long preseason. You know, we, we start in September and we go all the way through December, uh, train, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. You know, those little holidays get in the way. But, um, you know, it, it's just so hard when, you know, you're going and you're starting to get in a groove and you got these practice inner squads and scrimmages coming up and then they shut you down. Or, you know, what's really been hard is the contact tracing with roommates. You know, hey, I know one of our gymnast roommate gets it who has no affiliation with the athletic program or the gymnastics team, but protocols are in place for a reason. And those, those gymnasts get shut down for an extended period of time. And then they got to expect to come right back and jump back into it. And you just can't do that in a sport of gymnastics. And so it's just been a lot of like yo-yoing up and down and, and making sure when they do come back that again, you know, they go through the right you know, steps to, to make sure they're good um, you know, gymnastics is a sport of just repetition, repetition, and we got to make sure that those reps are in before, you know, hard landings get introduced or the pulse pull routine gets introduced. You're replacing Shannon Evans, All-American, Brianna Pearson as well, a, a good contributor there. Who are the leaders on your team this year? Well, we have seven fantastic seniors. These are girls that have come in, um, you know, three years ago as freshmen and were automatically making lineups and competing. So in a year where the preparation isn't quite normal, you know, I think it's nice to have seven seniors that have gone through this multiple times. They know how to get ready and they know how to compete. So um, Abby Miner uh, is looking to, again, excel in the all around. She won this meet a year ago. So for her, maybe there is a little bit of a, hey, I want to defend my title a little bit, being the top all arounder at this meet. Um, you know, uh, she got married over the summer, too, through a pandemic. Um, Abby Bowden is now Abby bowden Stanton, and she's in nursing school right now. So imagine get, trying to go through nursing school and do gymnastics is pretty remarkable. I've never thought about and, doing either of those, just so you know. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean, her schedule is just crazy. Wild. With two-a-days, morning conditioning, running up and doing all of the clinical stuff that she has to do. Um, I can't believe she does gymnastics at the level she can do it. Yeah, pretty, pretty remarkable young woman. That absolutely is. Uh, you're number 17 in the preseason poll. Uh, this program has taken uh, and been elevated the last couple of years under your watch here. Do you feel like that's a fair ranking going into the season? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. You know, every year they the preseason comes out, and I don't know how how much thought you know coaches put into it. Um, does conference favoritism get put into it? I, I really don't know. I, you know, when I do my ballots, I really just kind of look at where teams finished last year. Um, and we finished 16th, which was a ranked team going into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, right around there is probably pretty fair. But on all the other years, 
they've ranked us at a certain ranking and we finished higher. So that's what our aim is this year is to be ranked 17th, but clearly finish the season ranked higher than that. Obviously, tomorrow competing with the likes of uh, number four Utah, number 23 Southern Utah, the Flippin' Birds, that's one of the best nicknames, and Utah State. What is this meet like as you roll out the first one uh, where everyone, the lights are on and Utah's there and uh, it's the best of Utah? It literally is the best of Utah. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, trying to follow people's Instagrams and, and, you know, social media, you know, all four teams, they look ready. They look like they're, it's going to be one, one fun meet and a real treat for gymnastics fans. You know, not only for the, you know, 1800 that can get into the Maverick Center this weekend, but for everyone across the country who get to see it right here on BYU TV. And, and the fact that we get to do that, we get to bring you guys up so that we can showcase this event. It's just good gymnastics. And whenever there's good gymnastics, I think that's great for our university. That's great for my gymnast. That's great for me as a fan of gymnastics. So we're really excited that, that it's all kind of coming together here at the last minute. Yeah, we're very excited about the opportunity to do uh, the meet. It's going to be great, a great showcase, great athletes. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, it means we're into January and we're into the season, which is great. So, Guard, we're very excited about it tomorrow night. We appreciate the time, and we'll uh, see you at the Maverick Center. Yeah, see you tomorrow. Okay, BYU, Utah, Southern Utah, Utah State tomorrow night, 9 Eastern on BYU TV. It should be a lot of fun. It's always enjoyable when you have an Olympic silver medalist on the show, right? Love it. And a former broadcast major, no less. How about that, man? Yeah, I I think he uh, chose the right career. (laughs) I joke with him that when he's done coaching, he needs to come and be uh, a gymnastics analyst at some point. That that makes perfect sense. Oh, he's got the credentials. Yes, yes. Also related to Brigham. Come on. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is BYU's all-time leading bucket getter, all-around good man, Tyler Haas. What's and up, Tyler? One of our new analysts. Ty, great to have you back on the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on today, guys. I, I've missed you. We haven't had a, uh, a game together to hang out with in a minute. It would have been I, Thursday. I it would have been, been last night against Pacific. Come on, I know. I'm mitching to get back down there. Uh, unfortunately, what brings us together today is a 17-point loss to Gonzaga. But, hey, we, we well, got, Welcome we to the go analyst there. game where you got to weigh in on losses. Let's go. <laughs> Ty, you've, know, right? you, you've been in several uh, experiences like that. And, and by several, I, I'm not trying to say that you've lost a lot of games by a number of points. You just played basketball a long time. Yeah, so you, what, what, are you, what are you trying to say there? <laughs> you, you, know, you know what it's like to go through a you tough played a loss lot of blows, like that. Tyler. So what, what's the locker room like after a game like that? Yeah, it's definitely somber, I would say. I mean, uh, disappointing, um, especially when uh, you have that type of start to a game. And, I mean, everybody knew the, um, the odds coming into the game and, and the, the opportunity that was in front of these guys. And so, I mean, the first 10 minutes, I, I think that – that was really tough. And I, I think in a locker room after the game, you, you, you have this um, sick feeling in your stomach because of, um, you know, that, that start. But, 
Um, you're trying to, I mean, let's put things in perspective too. I mean, Gonzaga is really, really good. They're, they're the number one team in the country that, I mean, that's as good of a team as you're going to face the entire year. And so, um, although you're disappointed, you're, you're trying to take, take lessons away and you're trying to learn as much as you can about, um, where you're at as a team and the things that you need to get better at. So we had some fun in the opening segment in what's trending about moral and actual victories relative to what we saw last night. So uh, I won't ask you what a moral victory was for you, but what were your takeaways from BYU's performance? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really like the term moral victories. <laughs> Neither do we. I don't know, in a loss. I don't know if there is many. But, yeah, the lessons, the takeaways. I mean, listening to Coach Pope after, you know, he, he – he was really proud of the way his guys competed other than those first 10 minutes. I mean, they didn't back down. They, they competed the the rest of the game, even though they were trying to climb back, um, you know, from a big hole in, in the beginning, they didn't back down. And you have to know, like, that's as good of a team as you're going to face the, the whole year. And so um, I think that that would be my uh, first takeaway is, um, you know, we competed and uh, we're, we're right there with, um, with with the best team in the country. Um, I would say there there were some guys that, that definitely showed up and were bright spots. I mean, um, you know, I thought Caleb Lohner competed, had a good game. Gideon George, we saw more of him. Um, there were some good things that, that came out of that. But really, the, the takeaways are going to be in the film session and finding ways to get better um, from, from this loss. Tyler Haas with us on BYU Sports Nation. Now all of the national analysts are trying to figure out just how good this Gonzaga team is. We think that they are the best ever. I mean, they've scored 85-plus in 15 straight games that that's second only to the iconic 1990-91 UNLV Rebels team. Tyler, is this clearly the best Gonzaga team ever? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look top to bottom. They they always have good teams. It seems like they're always able just to reload with talent and transfers and it's just amazing the um the program that Mark Few has built and uh and the guys that they get every year, but I mean, you look top to bottom, and you got guys like Kisper and uh, and Suggs. Uh, it, I mean, they're going to be very, very hard to beat, and I'll, I'll be surprised if they they lose another game. Yeah, I don't think they'll lose another game, and they that may include all year. I mean, like you said, they're the number one team in the country. If if we said, mm-hmm. hey, BYU is playing at Duke or at Kansas or whatever, it's mm-hmm. listen, Gonzaga is actually better than those teams this year, which is just insane. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, the good thing is BYU has a couple of cupcakes next week. Oh, wait, they don't. Uh, BYU at St. Mary's at San Francisco. Because BYU moved this game up, BYU now plays its three toughest league games on the road. Um, what do you expect from BYU? Because you don't want to start 1-2 and two or 0-3. Oh BYU probably needs to go get both of those next week. For sure. These are, this might be one of the most important weeks of the season right here. And, and really, I'm just hoping the games are played, right? Like we got to get in the gym and just the game has to, has to be played. Um, so, but having said that, I mean, yeah, super, super important. And uh, it's always nice. I mean, you never want to say it's, it's good coming off of a loss, but 
playing the number one team in the country. You competed hard. You're, you're playing it at a really high level of basketball, you know, learn the lessons you need to and move on quick. You have to be able to turn the page quickly. Um, Cause St. Mary's and San Francisco, man, they're, they're, BYU has, is a is a circled game on their schedule, and um, that that's a big game for them to to be able to to, to go win. And so, um, you got to be ready to play, um, but guys got to stick together and uh, you know learn the lessons you need to and 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 move on. Tyler, we're all wondering how many West Coast Conference games BYU will actually play after the first three were unfortunately postponed, and then Gonzaga was expedited up. There are 16 original games. How many do you expect BYU to actually play based on what we've seen going on all around college basketball? Yeah, I don't know, Spence. I mean, it'll be interesting to uh, see how this this plays out. Um, the first couple weeks have not been promising that way. But, I mean, I'm hoping at least, I mean, at least 10, maybe 12. Um, I every game is super important to be able to, for BYU to set them up um, for an NCAA tournament bid and got to get some, got to get some good wins at St. Mary's and um, St. Mary's and San Francisco. I, I really think BYU has got to finish. They've got to finish second um, um, to, to have a shot at uh, being in the NCAA tournaments, but man, it, it's always nice when, when you got Gonzaga, number one team in the country, the opportunity is always there um, to, you know, cap off a great season if you can, if you can knock them down. Um, but yeah, hopefully games can be played and uh, you know, you know, the vaccine has come out now. And so it'll be interesting to see how everything develops in the next month or two. He said 10 or 12. I set the line at 11 and a half. How many games would be played? So that's fun. Yeah, spot on. Like, hopefully we get the majority, right? Let's finish with this. Uh, Dave Rose obviously has dealt with cancer, a heart attack, and now a stroke. We're hearing that he's progressing well, which is great. But uh, what do you want to say about uh, your coach at BYU and, and what he's going through right now? Yeah, um, and, you know, first off, I I love coach, and I was devastated to – um, get that news. Uh, he's, he's one of the toughest people I know. And, you know, just, he's taught me so much about life and, um, and just having a good attitude, um, and the right approach to anything that comes your way. I mean, he has, he's been through so much and overcome so much and really taught me, um, the lesson of fighting and battling, not only on the court, but off the courts, um, have so many memories being in, you know, be my freshman year uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer. I remember very vividly him coming in, you know, after a few weeks of us not knowing if he was going to even be able to coach, you know, him coming in the locker room, super emotional and saying, hey, I'm here. I, I'm going to fight this thing. And we're going to fight it together and I'm going to be here for you guys. And um, that's his approach to, to all these things. And, um, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to, you know, Cheryl and, and coach and their family. And um, I, I keep getting updates. I hear he's doing a lot better. Um, and I'm, I'm super happy that uh, uh, he's had the progress that he's had. You just don't know how things are going to shake out after, after a stroke. And so, um, I love coach, love his family, um, and uh, I've learned so much from him. 
Tyler, we appreciate that commentary on Coach Rose, and uh, we know uh, through his wife, Cheryl, that he's getting these messages and he's seeing them, and uh, they bring a smile to his face. So thank you for that. We appreciate uh, your analysis of BYU basketball and look forward to more Cougar hoops. Thanks. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. Tyler Haas on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Nick Robinson, BYU basketball assistant coach, has had quite a journey. And that basketball journey has taken him from across the pond in England to Palo Alto, to Provo, and beyond. He is the feature of our Deep Blue segment presented by America First Credit Union. We're here to help. Growing up around the game of basketball has really shaped who I am. It's competitive. It's exciting. It's fast-paced. I love basketball because uh, of the camaraderie, the teammates, of the team aspect. And I love uh, basketball because it's taken me around the world. It's taken me to tremendous places, uh, both as a player, as a teammate, as a coach. And I've been really, really fortunate to have that round ball in my life. I grew up in a town close to Winchester, which is in Hampshire County. Nick's family lived in Bromsey, which was a neighboring town. My dad played professional basketball in Europe. Uh, So after being born here in Salt Lake City, we moved to Belgium and France and then lived in England uh, for about five years. That's how we first got to meet each other around the age of seven, eight. My husband got back from his mission in Brazil in August 2000. I think we secretly both knew there was something here. We didn't know what it was. We didn't want to communicate that. So when he got back from his mission, this sort of getting married thing and that conversation even coming up was just, it was all a whirlwind. We just decided, okay, I think the only time we could logistically get married would be like in September, right before I head out to Stanford. And as bizarre as that sounds to many, many people, it was really the only thing that felt right and felt good. And we said to each other, is our feelings for each other going to change, right, in the next year? Probably not. And so if we want to do this, let's just, let's just do this. You know, since that time, we've grown together in our marriage, and we've been very fortunate uh, to have four beautiful children. I've known of him, you know, the last 20 years when his time playing at Stanford and him hitting uh, one of the biggest game-winning shots in Pac-10 history, his game winner uh, against University of Arizona. The ball flies loose, uh, it comes into my hands, and I take two dribbles while looking at the clock and let it go. There was just something about that environment that was breathtaking. I mean, the year itself was amazing. I mean, they'd had such a phenomenal year. And then just to play this competitive game against Arizona and to have that shot, you know, to win, to win the game was was just amazing. And I, I think I thought I was probably going to go into labor. <laughs> I would imagine I, you know, I was heavily pregnant. Just talking about it, still get goosebumps. But there was a, it was a great feeling. When Nick was coaching at SUU, um, I think something 
took place, getting more enthusiastic than usual, using his voice more. And at one point, uh, his voice started breaking and started, you know, like feeling a little raspy. And we just noticed that something was uh, not quite right. Uh, my voice at that point in time uh, was very, very limited. And so after the voice procedure, a few months later, things got better. Had another vocal cord procedure, things got better. But once we've realized, okay, this is this is the voice, it might be a little bit softer than, than others, but I can hear him. I can hear him. I think most people can. You know, there's some people out there that just, they like to talk a lot, right? And so you're not sure exactly what's being said or what the point is. With Coach Robinson, it's very deliberate, and you know exactly what, uh, what the message is as soon as he's done talking. Guys at times have to be quiet. It's, there's something impactful about in important moments using a little bit of a softer voice guys almost hear it more clearly every interaction i've had with him has been 100 percent positive and he's pushing me in practice and he's helping me learn like he he really has been special to me before every practice he tries to give every player on the team a high five i think it's his way of showing that he just he cares about the guys and that he's excited to be uh, practicing and getting better with us Every single day, every single minute he's on the court, every single minute he's office, he's got an intensity about him that, that spreads throughout the entire program. Nick Robinson, our deep blue feature. Uh, and when they say every interaction is genuine, yeah, he's awesome. we feel that here every time you talk to him. Yeah, and he's overcome uh, two voice procedures, right? Different kind of voice, but you can hear him clearly. It's, it's fine. It's perhaps different than it was, but he was the head coach at Southern Utah. Was that Seattle in the whack? Utah Valley would play against them, and uh, uh, Mark Pope said, hey, I need you on this staff. So it's been nothing but awesome with this staff, including Nick Robinson, who's fantastic. And, of yeah. course, he's known for that show. What an unbelievable staff, BYU basketball. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Zach Wilson will be a quarterback in the National Football League in just a few months. Jerem, what's your reaction to Zach Wilson shockingly? making it official that he is skipping his senior season and going to the NFL. About midway through the season, this started to become a reality, right? Um, we so, saw him climb into the first round. Yeah, well, and he even admitted in a great article by Jay Drew about the ascension of Zach Wilson that once Zach saw Mel Kuyper put him in the top five, he was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> um, Maybe so, I should go. Yeah, that, that, was, that was crazy. What a season, 43 touchdowns, three giveaways. That is wild. Um, like the Lego movie said, everything was awesome. Zach Wilson was so good. Best BYU quarterback in a long, long time. Like, weird to think that Zach Wilson had a better season than, I'd argue, Taysom Hill, Max Hall, even John Beck, Brandon Doman. I mean, you may, you may have to go back to Steve Young's 83 to really – sorry, or uh, Ty 90 to, uh, to have a season like this. I haven't broken it down all the way. I started over the break. I stopped because there were too many numbers I was punching. 73.5%. Just – Okay, so, yeah, uh, which brings us to our amazing stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Okay, Zach Wilson finished the season with the sixth best completion percentage and efficiency in, not BYU history, <laughs> FBS history. So 73.5%, and then his efficiency this year was crazy awesome, too. Two thumbs up for that. So, yeah, no, just incredible. I mean, I th- we thought it'd be better. You remember during the summer, I was like, why wouldn't BYU be better 
as a team because they have all these guys that have been playing the last two years. It's not like random dudes that were backups or juniors. Now. Zach Wilson made a leap that maybe he didn't even think he'd make. You know what I mean? But he put in the work. Um, the opposite of entitled. Again, read that article by Jader. Really, really insightful as to the process. He actually worked DoorDash one day on Mother's Day to just earn money. Just he's like, so entitled. Yeah, rich kid from Draper. Yep, yep. Just mom and dad's. No, he's like taking ramen. No, and whatever. And anyway, to the Wilsons, they make him work. They make him. They don't work. have to, right? They ha- they got some dough, but anyway, just an amazing season. Really fun to watch. Um, I, I would say I'm going to miss Zach, but I'm more excited for him to go to the NFL. I'm not going to be like, oh, gosh. Like, it's time. It's perfect time. Yes, this is the right decision 100%. And both you and I said, look, if he decides that the NFL is now and it's the right decision, then we support it. And we are here to support that. Are you kidding me? I feel like there are some BYU fans that are saying, well, but the schedule next year is going to be so epic, and he's got a chance to beat Utah. Maybe he could win the Heisman. He's got a chance to beat the the Chiefs. Exactly. <laughs> no cares about Utah. He's got a chance to be a top to be the highest drafted player ever from BYU into the NFL. And you're saying, oh no, come on, come on back, it's play for right. free. I, I feel like it's the uh, person on Deal or No Deal that has two cases left. Million dollars and like a hundred thousand dollars. So either way, it's going to be good. But they're like, oh no, go one more suitcase. See if you get that. Guarantee that million. Don't take the eight hundred thousand. Get the million. No, be smart. And he is smart. That's yeah. why he made the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. BYU loses in Spokane to number one ranked Gonzaga, 86-69. But you know what? Every other team in college basketball is probably going to lose to Gonzaga this season. They're in another stratosphere. Yesterday we joked about, hey, what's an acceptable outcome for BYU and threw in the moral victory thing. Well, we're not exactly joking today when we discuss actual victory or moral victory. Let's start with this, Jerem. BYU, after stumbling out of the gate to a 23-2 deficit. And 25-4, too. Then outscored the Zags 67-63 to close out the final 35 minutes of the game. Moral victory. Uh, yeah, moral victory. It's not uh, an actual victory. Actually, winning the game is an actual victory. I'm going to be moral victory on most of these. Okay, BYU goes down 18-2, trying to replicate what it did when it last beat Gonzaga at number one, which was be down 18-2. I thought this was a sound idea. It's like, let's simulate what they did. Let's go down, get Gonzaga comfortable. I kid. Uh, BYU got boat raced. But after that point, after the five-minute mark into the game, BYU actually outscored Gonzaga, which is gnarly, like you said. So uh, still moral victory. Nice comeback. But the damage had been done. Once BYU got down 32 in the second half, it's like, oh, hey, anything okay. that happens from here is nice, but it's not that meaningful to me. What was deflating is when BYU cut the lead to 13 and Gonzaga calls the timeout, the Zags take Late the, in the first half yeah. and go on an 11 to nothing run, and just like that, they it was back 13. up 24. They yeah. answered it with a 13, yeah. Because once it was 13, it was like, oh, this is the game again. Okay, cool. Great. But it takes so much energy to come back against anybody, let alone the best team in America. It was, yeah. It, I, you, you gain that confidence a little bit. And I'm thinking, hey, BYU went down 18-2 to two, uh, before and won in Spokane. Why, why not? This, this isn't that Gonzaga. Yeah, they tried to replicate the game plan. They're just, 
It's just a different level. They're in another stratosphere. So, yes, yeah. that is the definition of a moral victory. Hey, last 35 minutes. Yay! It's the same idea as BYU against Utah in the 2015 Las Vegas Bowl going down 35 to nothing and then losing the game 35-28. Hey, they outscored him 28-zip, final three quarters. Still yeah. lost the game. Okay, actual or moral victory. BYU gets the push on the final Vegas line of 17. Moral victory. Yes, moral victory. Now, had BYU gotten to within 16, Caleb Lohner gets the ball and has a chance to lay it in if he wants. That was a big decision. Scott Pell, are you paying attention? That was a big decision. (laughs) Bad meets. Yeah. Yeah, this is a moral victory. I was really hoping. I'm like, oh, man, is BYU going to backdoor cover here? They were close. They got It was 17. It was like 54 seconds left. I was, they, they might lose then, by only 15 or 16. But then Gonzaga hit a, hit a shot in the lane. And uh, no, I, this is moral victory. Actually winning is a victory. Mm-hmm. Okay? Moral but, victory. But moral victory is – and it depends who you ask. So BYU didn't cover in some spots. BYU covered in some spots. And BYU pushed. Because the line wasn't universally 17. It was 16 and a half, 17, 17 and a half, depending on who you asked. So uh, that was fun. But the Vegas line and even Ken Palm, they were spot on on how this yes. shook out. Yes. Which is weird given that it was like a 32-point game at one point, a 13-point game at some point. So. Jerem, Gonzaga has scored like a million points against a bunch of teams. 102 against 6th-ranked Kansas. They went for 90 against Auburn. They only put up 86 against BYU. What does that mean? Moral victory. Uh, BYU held the Gonzaga to fewer points than Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa, or Virginia did. That's, that's cool, but BYU still lost by 17. But, uh, yeah, good, good, good job, guys. Only 86. Hey, 22nd-ranked Virginia lost to Gonzaga by 23. Moral well, victory. Well, and gave up, like, what, 95? How much was it? Virginia known for its defense, uh, incredible defense. Yes, because, well, a.k.a. they just milked the clock. <laughs> and Gonzaga still scored 95 against Virginia. Yeah. That so is what does this mean? Did BYU win something? <laughs> what did they win? A new vacuum. Woo! Let's keep the moral victory train rolling, baby. Okay, BYU loses by six uh, less, uh, fewer points than they did last season at Gonzaga. Moral yeah. victory. This is a moral victory. <laughs> BYU wasn't playing with Yoli Childs last year. There were fans in the stands. Remember that? No. Uh, That's know. never it's, happened, it's actually. Yeah. BYU loses by 23 with a team that, once Yoli Childs got back, went on an unbelievable run, beat Gonzaga 91-78, and was pacing to be a six seed in the NCAA tournament. But, again, this comparing both BYU teams, even though the deficit is closer – I felt like BYU's team last year was more competitive than the team was this year because, as you pointed out, you don't go down by 32. Yeah. Like, I don't remember what it was last year, but they were both ugly. Ugly is ugly. Come on. Come on. Uh, yeah, no. Moral victory. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Caleb Lohner, Gideon George, both scoring double figures. Oh, they were gushing. Sean Farnham was gushing about Gideon George and Caleb Lohner and I'm looking at the score. The West Coast Conference sent out a tweet that said, Gideon George heating up, and BYU's down 75-50. to 50. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to feel about this. This is a <laughs> moral victory. Yes. I, well done, guys. Listen, like, if Sione Fino had, like, 50 yards rushing as the third-string guy, Bama. down 30, does it matter? 
No. Uh, it, it's good for those guys. I would like – listen, I continue to wonder why Gideon George doesn't play more. He's making a case. Does he struggle with certain concepts on offense or defense? Is there – like Caleb Lohner, we're seeing what he can do, right? Still a little raw, but like his rebounding is just really good, and that's his strength. Uh, some nice moves in the low post, so strong. But, yeah, I'd like to see a little more Gideon George. I, I, maybe there's just not a lot of room for him at that position right now, but uh, – He's had a couple of uh, nice performances um, in, in select games, but it's not maybe the inconsistency is the issue. Basketball is all about matchups, and I think we're starting to find out that in certain instances, Gideon is the best option. Against a team like Gonzaga or USC or St. John's, he matches up very well with How that How do you do against Boise opponent. State? Yeah, I can't remember. But I don't know that he played a ton against Boise State. Why, why not is, is what I'm wondering. Well, that's, I guess. What, that, that's Mark Pope's uh, and, and project maybe, to figure out. And maybe they're out. being – and they know the answer. Maybe they're just being nice by not saying if he struggles with something, right? But I was yeah. encouraged like, by I'd love to see a little more. As much of a moral victory as this was, it was nice to watch those two guys play well. It really was. Against Gonzaga, it was nice. Someone's going to make some shots. Gideon George Come take on. on Corey Kispert off the dribble and get to the hoop. I was like, oh, Corey Kispert's a good defender. Yeah, and your focus and intensity and dialed inness, uh, which isn't a word, uh, isn't at the same level when you're up like 20 or 30. It just isn't. Okay, uh, last one. BYU moves up in Ken Palm and net rankings. Actual yeah, victory. Yeah, actual victory. Actually something. BYU up six spots in spite of a blowout loss in the net rankings to number 46. Ken Palm I'm not as concerned with, again, because I see teams with losing records ahead of BYU. Again, it's an efficiency ratio. Yeah. So it's not an opinion. It's just what you do. But look at the BPI. Still 45 in the Rothstein top 45. I wonder how I that will that, change when I don't he comes know that out with a new one. updated that yet. But the net updates every day. BYU's number 46. Yeah, it's trending in the right direction. Got to keep winning. St. Mary's in uh, San Francisco next week. What's Lunardi going to do with BYU in his next bracket? They're not going to be in. No, but sure. I wonder if maybe are they going to be the fourth team out? Hopefully, are they, they going to drop a little bit? Yeah, hopefully they hang around, but I, BYU didn't give Lunardi much of a reason to keep them in the same spot. That would be an I, actual I loss if BYU drops in bracketology. I would think they would, just but. Yeah, maybe but they the net I ranking helps. Everyone's getting voted. I feel strongly that BYU's at-large NCAA tournament possibilities lie specifically in the next two games, Jerem. Straight up. At, mm. against St. Mary's and against San Francisco. Those are Tier B games. Like, BYU, I feel like they need to win both of those games to be in good position to make the NCAA Yeah, tournament. Tier B for Ken Palm. Quad one, probably with St. Mary's. Uh, it is right now. And then San Francisco maybe win the... Does settle, so we'll see. Here's the good news. Mark Pope has never lost back-to-back games as the head coach. That's right. That's right. At St. Mary's next week, or so we think. Multiple ro- – I'm not inferring anything. I'm just saying WCC's been weird. Okay, multiple reports will include Football Scoop reporting. Eric Mateos headed to Baylor to replace the now unhired Ryan Pugh. Pew, pew. To join Jeff Grimes, the offensive line coach. This comes on the heels of losing first-team All-American Brady Christensen early to the draft. Fellow starters Chandon Herring and Tristan Hodge leaving as well after their senior seasons. Is the BYU offensive line a concern now? Sure. When you lose that much talent and that much depth on the coaching staff to boot, absolutely it's a concern. We've never talked about depth on the coaching staff. I like that. If it's not a concern... Then what are you watching? What are you looking oh, at? Oh, we've already put Eric at uh, Baylor. Look at this. Come on. <laughs> you lose the offensive coordinator whose specialty is the offensive line, Jeff no. Grimes. That's why he was down on the sideline coaching him up. 
Eric Mateos has been here two years. There's some continuity there. We thought he was coming back. He sent out the gifts. He's looking for a home to buy in Utah County. And then, oh, how the turns table. All for naught. So you lose uh, those two prominent personalities. Yeah. And you listen to the offensive linemen and the way they talk about those guys. Yes, it's a concern. Brady Christensen, BYU's first First team All American since Ty Detmer? No, sorry, Luke Staley, but before that, Ty Detmer. It doesn't happen often. Tristan Hodge, Chandon Herring, this is a significant chunk of the offensive line. While I like the Cougars' depth, now it's not nearly as deep. It's feeling a little bit thin, and it feels thinner because the coaches are on their way out, too. I'm concerned. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to expect it to be as good, right? BYU's not going to have a first-team All-American again next year. They, they just won't. But it can still be awesome. So um, I think I feel like BYU's been able to produce good offensive line coaches for a long time. Let's walk through some of those from the recent past. Mike Empey, Garrett Tujay, Robert and I, uh, Mark Weber, Lance Reynolds. I like all of those guys. Yep. So potential starting lineup uh, based on some conversation here. Left tackle, Blake Freeland, shift from right to left there. Carl, Clark Barrington's back at left guard. James Empsey's back at center. Love awesome. That. Two returning starters. Keanu Sally Paga didn't really play this year, but he'll be back healthy. Can be the starting right guard potentially. And Joe Tukuafu. The chance at right tackle. Joe Tukuafu is probably your sixth man in that mix. So I, I like that. That's a good group. I Remember... 08 going into 09, BYU lost three starters on the offensive line and played Oklahoma, and we were like, oh, gosh, it's going to be rough. Harvey Younger didn't even play in that game. BYU was able to run the ball with Brian Correa because those new guys uh, emerged and stepped up in a big way. I think we could see this offensive line get to that level. It's just a concern when Jeff Grimes did such a yes. good job with Eric Mateo. Yes. So, yeah, the question is, to are see you who the new guy. Yeah, Naturally. Sh- sure, but I, I like Freeland, who's had a lot of l- run already. I like Sonny Apaga, who's been a starter as well. I like Lachance, who's been waiting for his opportunity. I'm excited about that group. I like Tukuafu, uh, maybe to push to get into another position. I, th- I think it'd be he's, guard. He's, you know. Yeah, he's a good player, and he has significant experience because MP was injured. Tukuafu started the bowl game and did a really good job, and uh, Eric Mateos was quick to point that out. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Let me get my newscaster voice in for this one. This just in about 15 minutes ago. The BYU quarterback phenom, Zach Wilson, has been named as one of five finalists for the Polynesian College Football Player of the Year Award by the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. Yesterday, we spoke with Zach via the Deseret First Credit Union hotline in Southern California. Zach, first of all, I'd just like to confirm that you did not drive 10 hours to get to Southern California this time where you join us now, right? No, no, I'm, I'm done uh, doing that. That was, that was fun for last year only, and then now I can have people buy my flights. So. <laughs> More importantly, has John Beck contacted you and asked you when you're taking him to dinner yet? Uh, we're actually going to lunch tomorrow, so he already made sure to squeeze that one in. Can oh, very nice. Dinner time, so uh, we got to lunch tomorrow. Okay, so, so uh, an article from Jay Drew came out where he talks about kind of your ascension, right? And then he talks about you taking ramen and, like, gas station food to the Rex's house during the summer because you didn't want to be a burden. So tell us, yeah. tell us what those items were, and then the Rex's were like, no, eat our food, right? They're like, so nice. 
Yeah, so I had, I had a cooler full of, uh, my mom would give me a loaf of bread and I'd peanut butter and jellies. That's kind of what I would eat on my, on my drive down. Um, I'd make the McDonald's stop, of course. And then, um, you know, once I hit California, I didn't want to eat their food. You know, I, I was like, okay, these guys are nice enough to let me stay with them for free. So I wouldn't have to pay for a hotel. And so, you know, I had a bag full of uh, the heat up burritos that you throw in the microwave. And then I had uh, the chicken pot pies from Costco. Yeah, yes, I so, love those. Those are yeah. great. Yeah. So, so to be an elite quarterback. You know, think, uh, yeah. <laughs> the cup of noodles, I remember – I remember I used to try and sneak it down into the kitchen. So Amy, Isaac's mom, you know, the nicest lady would always be trying to make me food and give me food. And I felt so bad. So, I, you know, I try and sneak down in the kitchen when, when they were up in their room and try and hurry and make a cup of noodles. So I didn't have to ask them for food. Elite um, quarterback. You know, meals. So just, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you paid the Rex family back with 12 touchdown passes to their kid, That's right? That's true. That's true. Yep. They made me promise it when I went last year. They said, Isaac better have some touchdown catches this year. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, you're in uh, Southern California, Irvine to be specific, as you begin preparation for the NFL draft. Talk to us about your setup and what your timeline is like over the next few weeks. Yeah, an amazing setup. You know, my agent, you know, definitely is taking care of me. I'm out with uh, Brian Aroll and WME, and, uh, you know, I'm out here in Irvine, California. I start uh, workouts tomorrow, so I'll work with John every morning. John Beck with 3DQB and those guys. Um, you know, a couple hours of film and, and quarterback workout on the field, and then I'll head over to uh, the Anaheim Ducks facility, and I'll work with uh, uh, Les Spellman and his uh, speed and strength staff group and, and their physical therapy group over there. And, and you know, that's kind of where I spend my entire day of training uh, is at those two places. And, you know, I kind of get – kind of get it all and so i have a you know a personal chef down here as well that's going to cook my meals for me for the whole week and so you know i finally feel like i have those resources to kind of take my game to the next level and so i'm fortunate to have um you know a great group of people around me and a great agent that you know it's taking care of me and giving giving me what i feel like uh is going to help me uh you know do the do the best i can for the for the draft and, and the combine and um you know combine could get pushed back you know but the word is is still february and um you know then end of March uh, pro day is when I'll be back a couple weeks before March 26th. And, uh, you know, I'll spend some time with the receivers, get some working with those guys. And then I'll be in Utah for about those six weeks until the draft, um, you know, doing privates um, with coaches and, and different workouts and stuff. And, uh, you know, and then hopefully get picked up on a team. Uh, I can guarantee that. I think uh, you'll the, get picked up. Pick, yeah. gonna yeah. have. I'm going to go on record and, <laughs> and guarantee that. Also, having a personal chef might be just a little bit better than those Costco pot pies. Uh, a little bit better. Right? Yeah. Might. Those are pretty dang good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be evenly cooked, though, this time, which is, is right? awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> Melting on the outside, frozen on the inside. So, yeah. Zach, now that the, it, it was a no-brainer that – you would go pro. Absolute right decision. Right. Some guys in the past, like BYU basketball, was like, wait, should they have come back? No question you should go. When did this really form in your mind during the season where you were like, okay, this is the thing I should seriously consider first, and then later, when did it become official that you were like, yeah, I need, I need to go pro? Well, you know, every time I thought about it in season, you know, I would just remember, hey, we still have games left, and so you know, I'd have to slow myself down and be like, hey, you know, you play two bad games and, and everything that you're thinking about right now is out the window. So I, I made it uh, pretty evident to myself. I got to keep playing well. And so I, I definitely made that a priority. And uh, it was really after the bowl game that I, I really spent some time thinking about it. Uh, um, 
you know, talking with the coaches about if I came back this next year, you know, the possibilities of, you know, having another great season at BYU or if it's best for me to, to, you know, pursue my dreams, you know, if, if, if the things I felt like were unfinished at BYU were worth it still. And, and, you know, of course it'd be great to, you know, try and beat Utah and, um, you know, to maybe be higher in the Heisman poll or, or have a better season, you know, it's hard to do better than 11 and one, but, you know, maybe be ranked higher or try and go to New York six bowl game, you know, all that stuff is great, but I don't know if it was, uh, you know, worth risking the opportunity of injury and, um, you know, missing my opportunity of being able to play in the NFL and, and be a high draft pick. And, um, you know, really for me, it's not about as high as I go. It's not about the money. It's, it's really about, uh, the opportunity and situation it, you know, that's what I'm excited for is where I land. Um, finding a place that fits me. When you look at the different options that have been thrown out there, and there are a lot of people talking about potential landing spots, what do you feel like is a system that is the right fit for you? You don't have to give me specific team names, but just maybe the scheme that you feel like you would fit best into. Yeah, I haven't watched a ton of uh, specifics with NFL teams and as far as what offenses they run, you know. I, one just off the top of my head is the 49ers just because I'm very familiar with what Kyle Shanahan does and, and the system that they have in place. And I think, uh, you know, I'd fit in well there. You know, another one that I actually haven't watched much of, but I, I know they have a good scheme is with Joe Brady and the Carolina Panthers. And that's just because I watched so much of Joe Burrow and their LSU film. And uh, Joe Burrow actually is the same agent I have. And so I was able to talk with him on the phone and, and he uh, talked about how great Joe Brady is and, and how, um, you know, offensive minded he is and so uh, you know that'd be another great landing spot you know at that level I think uh, you know you can make it work with any team you go with I think there's a lot of amazing coaches at any any team you end up with and Joe's reportedly talking with the Texans perhaps so uh, who knows what happens there (laughs) so you just mentioned pick eight and 12 first round feels like where you're gonna go Um, is that is that wild to you that like three years ago you were going to prom and now you're gonna be a first round (laughs) quarterback (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh you know it's, i think it's a humbling experience you know i'm very grateful for everything you know i've been given in my life is you know i'm, I'm honestly the most grateful for the, the the low you know times of my career especially last year you know going through that whole thing seeing what people were still on your side seeing what people still wanted you to succeed um you know it's cool because now um you know success is, is coming again and you know i can almost guarantee there's gonna be low times again in my career and so uh, i'm glad to have dealt dealt with it before and learned how to overcome the adversity and so it's crazy to be able to think about the the roller coaster i'm about to um you know get into and um you know it's gonna it's gonna be a great problem to have i can say that for sure (laughs) we recently spoke with your good buddy dax milne about the wild nature of how fast all of this has happened for him and you've kind of been on the same timeline where you know, I look at what's happening. It's Navy, and BYU runs for 300 and some odd crazy number of yards, and you had a good game, but you were kind of the backstory to what your running backs and your offensive line did, and then you really burst onto the scene in late September. So over three months, how would you explain the emotional roller coaster that you have been on in just about 90 days' time? Yeah, you know, if I could put it in one word, I'd just say exciting. I would just say Every single game was just like, hey, we have another opportunity to, to put ourselves on the map at BYU as being an explosive offense. And I think it was, um, you know, I think that was one reason I was okay with leaving this year is just because, you know, I was happy with the season that we had. I didn't I didn't feel like there was much else we could have done besides that Coastal Carolina game. And, um, you know, I really feel like 
that's as dominant as you can almost be as an offense. And so um, I was happy with what we accomplished this last year. And, um, you know, it's, it's all come so fast. You know, I think back to the Navy game and my expectations of the season and my expectations for myself were obviously to play a ton better, but, you know, it wasn't to be in any Heisman rankings. It wasn't to be um, projected in the top 15 of the, the 2021 NFL draft. And so, uh, you know, it's crazy to just see how that can all change in just, you know, 11, 12 games. And so, uh, you know, it's been a crazy ride, but it's, it, you know, it comes as fast as it goes. So the work just starts now. I'm very excited for NFL teams to get to know you even more and the person that we've gotten to know that is a uh, playbook, uh, you know, film junkie, and you just know the game so well, and I learn a ton about quarterbacking when I talk to you about stuff. So where do you feel like you're going to really do well in this process as you try and become a first-rounder? Yeah, I know one of the knocks on me is size, and and I honestly think a lot of that is just because I have some huge alignment in front of me. So uh, <laughs> you know, I'm excited to <laughs> I'm excited to be able to put some weight on and show these guys. You know, I'm really not as small as they think I am. And um, you know, I would say the six 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 five quarterbacks aren't the ones succeeding as much uh, nowadays. And so um, I'm excited for that. Um, and really, for me, I think it's going to come down to the, the interviews. I think that's where. I think physically, you know, you show what you do on the field. I think I think your film is everything for a quarterback. Um, so really now it's your it's your understanding of the game. So I'm so excited to go in there and break it down for coaches, you know, what decisions I, I made, why I made them, what was going on in my head. You know, it's definitely something I can talk um, all day, every day about. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully that can be in my favor when I go in there and explain, you know, why I did, you know, certain things. And so I'm excited for the opportunity to do that. Earlier today, we showed what we thought were your top five plays at BYU. <clears throat> one of those was the Neil Palu throw I, I, against UCF. Like, which one, right? Uh, UCF, the touchdown, your, your last uh, pass, I think, right? Um, for a touchdown. What was your favorite throw at BYU? Like, what was the one that you're like, ah, oh, that's, that's my favorite? Uh, you, know, you know, thinking back, I can't even remember what game it was, but the whole shot to Gunner in the two-minute drive that I think we actually – turned it into like a 50 second drive and you know, the games all start to mesh together but um i hit gunner in the right in front of the right pylon um in between the safety and the corner and and, and that was one of my favorite favorite throws just because it was uh, completely off a of reaction you know i was working the concept you know felt the corner fall off and bite and and you know just reacted to making a play the same one with i think it was texas state right before half where i rolled out to the right and threw it all the way back across the field you know both of those were just reactionary plays and and then you know the energy and excitement that came after those plays i think was the most fun just celebrating with the guys um you know that stuff is that stuff is fun so those are two just off the top of my head um you know that are exciting and then and then going out and having a first quarter like that against ucf i think is uh you know a way to end the season so we're compiling a list and we will present that on top five tuesday next week (laughs) (laughs) the top five passes according to zach uh, you obviously are well aware of what BYU is doing with their offensive coordinator position. One of your close friends, Aaron Roderick, has now been promoted to offensive coordinator. Festi Satake is the passing game coordinator. What do you think about those two, I guess, uh, movements from within the program to elevate those guys to different positions? Yeah, it's exactly the move that should have been made. I know Kalani, um, you know, is thinking the same thing. You know, we were part of the program he saw the impact that both of those guys had on the program and yeah he knew coach Grimes did a great job and he's going to move on to another situation that's you know a situation that's hard to pass up on you know I was super happy for him and told him about that but but uh coach Fess and coach Arod 
fit those roles perfectly. You know, we don't need to bring in another coach um, at that position. And so I'm glad that uh, he was able to move those guys up because BYU's offense is going to be dominant with those with those guys running the show for a while. Zach, we're thrilled for you, to say the least, and it's been exciting for us to watch you make this ascension as well. I can't wait for you to request to your personal chef a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> or a thoroughly cooked may I Costco. Have, may I have a cup of ramen, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That right. needs to it's happen. coming. The Kraft mac and cheese is also a favorite. So Let's go. I love it, man. Hey, uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Best of luck. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the workouts. And tell John we say what's up. For sure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Zach Wilson on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why, we show how. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing where he ends up. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Let's uh, take that Baker's Dozen down to five for Top 5 Tuesday. Presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. We're focusing on the top five Zach Wilson plays at BYU, Jerem. Number five, 2018, Northern Illinois. You want to forget this game because BYU lost. Don't forget this play. This is one of the greatest plays we've forgotten about. Zach Wilson hurdles a fool, stiff arms him in the air as a freshman, and then stares him down. Get some! (laughs) Oh, my gosh. With his offhand, by the way. Great look here. (laughs) I love this play. To get a first down. <sighs> we shouldn't put it in the top 100. I don't know because they didn't win that game. <laughs> Seven lost. to six. Great play. It is a great play. Number four. Speaking of Zach running, how about this 16-yard rush against oh, USC to take a 27-24 lead with just over five minutes to play in the game. Lavelle Edwards Stadium was rocking in this moment. Oh, man, what a fun game, right? Winning an OT, the go-ahead. USC answers with uh, with a tying field goal from, like, 52 or whatever. But, oh, man, what a great day. Afternoon game. Sky cam. <laughs> ABC. I was beautiful. Uh, was back when we had lots of fans and stuff. Yeah. That was, that was cool. And BYU used to play Power 5 teams. It was crazy. Okay, number three, Zach Wilson shovel pass to Mason Wake for an eight-yard touchdown against Houston to take the lead. Whoop! <laughs> Chiefs! This was uh, Patrick Mahomes commented on a tweet of this play. Mason Wake then revealed, rest in heaven, Mom. Pretty cool play, man. Pretty cool play. Yes, and just look how subtle the pass is. Whoop! It, it, okay, Mason Wake told me that Zach Wilson in practice told him he was going to point at him as he threw it. But in the moment, didn't. No, and so Mason said, I, I was just like, <laughs> he said it kind of, he told us, it kind of really surprised him. I really hope he made that noise. <laughs> it kind of surprised him when the ball actually was thrown. Like, okay, here we go. And he kind of side side hurdles a guy. I thought it was a pretty good move. Mason Wake hurdling people? That's weird. Crazy. Uh, back half of the season, Mason Wake just like went away. Uh, uh, more Mason Wake. Let's go. Number two. Who can forget this? Zach Wilson's final touchdown uh, pass of his career to Neil Pau. Zing! What a throw, dude. <laughs> he made like a million dollars on that I throw, t- probably. So like, I think I tweeted that night. Um, that throw right there basically guaranteed Zach a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. One of like 29 throws that are just <laughs> dope. Like, Neil Pau doesn't have to move. Look, Neil's moving. He's just like, don't, don't look. Don't look. Got it. And the top play from Zach Wilson in his career. This is a contextual play. At Tennessee, like 19 seconds left, 
64 yards to Micah Simon! 100,000 fans. Oh. oh, man. And Tennessee ended up top 30 ESPN FPI, top 35. So that, that, was a, that was an amazing play. I mean, it's not his greatest throw, but it's like the, what it meant. Still a pretty good throw. Was was amazing. Woo! So. Well done. Those are your top five Zach Wilson plays in his BYU oh. football career. Next week, let's do throws. Just throws. <laughs> so good. <laughs> much as I don't want to do this um, per contract. Hey, just because it's inconvenient doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Let's we got to go. recap our prop picks Let's from go. last night presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group serving Utah since 1968. Number one, how many points will BYU score against Gonzaga? We had four different options. Jeremy, you opted for between 71 and 75. Yep. I said between 76 and 80. Yeah. We were both wrong. The Cougars scored 69 points. Well, I was right, but Caleb Lohner decided to <laughs> dribble it out at the end. If he lays it in, I get 71. Wasn't that the sportsmanship uh, award, though, for Caleb Lohner? Like, would Gonzaga have been mad no. if he had made that bucket? No. Unless they were betting on the game. Number two, who will be the game's third highest scorer? Rick Kispert at 23, Jalen Suggs at 16, Matt Harms and Caleb Lohner at 13. Both you and I missed on this. Uh... Yeah, I, I had, uh, what, Timmy and you had Barcelo. Yeah, Timmy so. had 12, Barcelo had 9. Alex Barcelo had 9. This just saying he's probably got to have more if BYU wants to compete there. All right, number three. <laughs> what will be the largest lead held in the game by BYU? <laughs> the Cougars never led in this game. Never led, and neither of us called that because we didn't want the team to be mad at us. No oh, points geez. awarded. Yeah, I award you no points. I thought BYU said, would lead by well, as many as four. You said, said six. six, and we were both wrong. What a homer pick! Nobody spins the wheel. But, Nobody uh, spins the wheel, which ben, is kind of disappointing. Ben Bagley brought up something apt in the conversation this morning. Maybe both of us should spin it when we go over together. <laughs> I'm not opposed because I, I think it'd be pretty weird, and that's kind of I kind of like it. So, let's go. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> Thankfully, we're not spinning it today. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us live on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline is another man who can appreciate the 80s awesomeness, the OG A-Rod, BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. Aaron, first and foremost, congratulations on the job promotion. How would you sum up the last three days of your life? Busy, yeah. It's been been, uh, been a really busy time. Uh, found out actually not much earlier than everybody else that that uh, Grimey was on his way to Baylor. I found out in the morning, the morning, well, I guess what day was that? Whatever the day that everybody else found out, I just found out probably a few hours before everybody else. So, um, and then, yeah, from that moment, I got a call from Kalani a few minutes later and then it's been pretty busy ever since. So have you made your first official move as the offensive coordinator or, or maybe what will that first official move in this position be? Um, well, no, I haven't done much yet uh, really because you know, I don't think we need a lot of, a lot of change. You know, that's, I think, you know, we've, we've spent the last three seasons um, establishing an identity, establishing a system, um, coaches, 
fitting into their roles and doing their job well. I just, you know, I want to pick up where we left off and keep rolling. We just spoke with Zach Wilson, uh, your quarterback phenom who was leaving for the NFL, and he referenced a number of times the relationship that he had with you and with Fessy Satake. So let's dive into that a little bit. How would you explain the relationship that you have specifically with Fessy as you look to keep things rolling on the BYU offense? Well, my relationship with Fessy started when he was at Hillcrest High School and I was uh, coaching. I was the offensive coordinator at Southern Utah. (laughs) And uh, then I I coached him. He started for me as a true freshman. uh, And we've been close ever since. I've, you know, just followed his playing career while I was at coaching at University of Utah. He was finishing his playing career and then followed his coaching career over the years. And we always just stayed close to each other. And um, working together has been a great, a great fit from day one. We pretty much think alike in most, most things. He's fest. He's awesome. He's got a great connection to our players and a great personality and he's really bright. And so, Working with him has been great. And then, yeah, and, and so, of course, and both of us have known Zach since he was pretty young, and Fessy was recruiting him at Weber, I think was the first person to offer him. And so there's been a pretty good uh, working relationship there in, in our passing game. Aaron, you referenced a second ago the just wanting to be able to continue on with the success that you guys had last season as an offense. As a coach, how satisfying was last year? It's one thing to be confident that that you think you know how the team's going to perform on that side of the ball, but then to actually see them go out and execute it at such a high level like they did, how satisfying was last year's offense for you? Well, I, I think most coaches hesitate to use the word satisfied. You know, you don't, you don't <laughs> ever want to be satisfied, but it was uh, fun to watch the level of execution that we had in most of our games this year and a number of our games especially were, you know, against some good opponents against Boise state and, and central Florida and Navy, uh, you know, San Diego state was one. I was really proud of how efficient we were that night. I think we had, we scored, you know, uh, what was our score? I can't remember 28. I think it was 28 points in only 52 snaps, I yep. believe. Cause they were just, they were just keeping trying to keep the ball away from us and snapping the, their offense was snapping the ball with less than five seconds. Every play clearly their game plan was to keep it away from us. And we were very efficient against an excellent defense. So yeah, those kind of things were, it was fun to see it come together. Um, The execution of, of the, you know, the guys on the field after three years of, you know, working up to this. So yeah, that was, I hate to use the word satisfying, but, it was a good year. We're proud of it, and now we gotta, you know, we gotta do the work to to get better because next year is gonna be gonna be a challenge. We have a tough schedule. BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick with us on BYU Sports Nation. You, not surprisingly, were asked about this yesterday, and you will be asked about this probably every day for the next two hundred and thirty nine days until you take on Arizona. What does your quarterback depth chart look like right now? Uh, I haven't even started with a depth chart yet, but. Anytime I'm asked about it, I usually just start with the two guys that have played in the game because I, I think that's only fair. It, it would be unfair to, you know, just start talking about guys who haven't taken a snap yet ahead of Baylor and Jaron. So, and uh, I have a lot of respect for both of those guys. Um, obviously, Baylor played really well. You guys got a pretty good look at him a couple of years ago and this year. If you were watching the games, he played quite a bit this year and played well. So, you know, Baylor's 
good passer, uh, really good touch and accuracy. And he's just a real cool customer. He doesn't get rattled by much. So, uh, you know, we all know a lot about Baylor and then Jaron Hall has uh, had some struggles with injuries, but when he played, he played very well. And he showed that he's capable of being a really good quarterback, excellent passer, also really strong arm and, and, um, just a really bright, intelligent guy. I'm, I'm excited to see him this spring. And then we have two uh, freshmen, one a return missionary and one that was right out of high school. They were, they were both with us this fall. So that's uh, Soljay Mayava and, and uh, Jacob Conover were both with us in the fall. We Originally, the plan wasn't to get Jacob here until, until this month. But with the COVID situation, he his, his mission ended just a little earlier than expected. And he was just at home and sitting around and we had a spot for him. So we brought him in, in, uh, in the fall, he got here a little late, about a month later than everybody else. So it was kind of too late to compete for the job, but he had a full season of running the scout team. He learned our whole offense. Um, so now he's entering this spring, uh, like a veteran player, he knows what he's doing already. So it's going to be interesting to see soul J him, Jaron and Baylor compete. It's going to be a lot of fun. Those guys are good players and, uh, all of them were highly recruited and had a lot of places they could go. And, and so it's, it's a fun challenge. I think all of us are going to embrace this. You know, we, we love Zach. He did he did so many great things. And uh, now it's going to be fun to see who can, who can be next. Aaron, obviously the byproduct of having a season like last year is the guys have the opportunity to play at the next level. So I, I'm curious when you look at, having to replace the production. Can you talk a little bit about how excited you are with the depth that you saw last year and how that translates moving forward? Are you talking, you're talking about just the depth of our team overall? Yes. Not just specifically quarterback, just the overall offense with the overall depth uh, moving forward. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great point. I think, uh, you know, nowhere is that more apparent than, um, the, the example in the bowl game, uh, we're playing, we're playing central Florida and James Empey's not available. And everybody knows James Empey's a excellent player, three-year starter, team captain. I mean, he's, he's one of our leaders on this team. He's not available. Joe Tukwafu starts the game and plays great. And then he gets injured uh, somewhere like near the end of the first quarter. I believe he only makes it like a quarter, but he, he was playing fantastic. And uh, Connor pay comes in and gets his first, snaps of the year at center i mean he hadn't even he plays center in practice a little bit but he comes in and we don't skip a beat we just keep rolling with our third center and i I thought that was a uh which one of my favorite examples of the season of our our depth and just the fact that our players are reliable guys that know what they're you know they they do what they're coached to do and connor pay just played awesome so and you could say that about several positions on our team. We've got some depth at the offensive line. We have depth at tight end. We have depth at running back. Um, obviously, Peeney and, and um, Tyler both played really well for us this year. And we have a couple of young guys that were injured. Um, uh, Hinkley, uh, Ropati was injured, and, and he'll be back soon. And um, we lost uh, McChesney, who will be back. And so um, you're going to see um, uh, Miles Davis I, I, he will be a much bigger part of our offense this year. We, if, if there's anything I regret about last season, it's that we didn't get him more involved. And um, that's one, you know, we had a great year, but you're always looking for ways to improve and we, we need to use him more. 
and we will. We'll find ways because he can do a lot of things as a receiver, as a running back. He's a fantastic weapon. And so, yeah, we've got good guys. We've got good receivers, Gunner and, and Neil. I thought Neil Pau was maybe the most underrated player on our team. He was playing very good football for us all year, but especially in the last five games. And uh, I'm really excited about some of these younger receivers, too, that you haven't seen a lot yet who are getting better all the time and have a really bright future. They just were kind of stuck behind Dax and, and Gunner, and, and now there's, there's going to be more opportunities for those young guys. Coach, it's great to catch up with you. Thrilled for you uh, making the move as the offensive coordinator and being the guy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Who will be the starting quarterback for BYU in how many days? Countdown to the Wildcats. 241. That feels like a long ways now. When we did it sub 250, I was like, okay. Now I'm like, oh, it's a long ways away. 241 anyway, days. So Zach's gone, but the cupboard's full. So who you got? The front runner for BYU to start... At Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas? Why are you saying it like a question? We hope, right? I hope, hopefully it's happening with fans and everything goes off without a hitch, right? Based, I'm, I've been a little bit callous because of 2020, all right? It's 2021! <laughs> I know! Didn't COVID go away? Yeah, I... <laughs> oh, it's still here? Oh, gosh. Right now, scheduled for Allegiant Stadium, BYU second home, Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes. We expect more BYU fans to be down there, and I think they're going to be watching... Baylor Romney. Oh, Jerome. Baylor Romney. Baylor Romney. Why wouldn't he be the guy right now? He was the second string if all Jaren year. Hall's healthy. Hey, and I'm not he taking anything away from Jaron Hall, but when spring football starts, Baylor Romney has earned the right to be the number one guy. Yes. And I know that Jacob Conover brings a ton of talent and an amazing skill set and four stars from Arizona. And a lot of people think, oh, Jacob Conover is going to be the next Zach Wilson. Dave McCann has like crowned Jacob Conover we gotta right wait. now. We've got to wait on that. He's still a freshman. But he dominated as the scout team quarterback. It's so different. Yeah. It's so different. Well, that was the nation's team. like a top five scoring defense. <laughs> he was going up Touché. against in practice. Touche. Right? And the coaches said he embarrassed Co- the first team defense on a number of occasions. Full disclosure on Tuesday night, sometimes Kalani would come <laughs> for the coach show. And man, Jacob Conover was awesome tonight. So, I, okay, I don't know. Because if Jaron Hall is healthy by August, he had issues with his hip. He's totally in the mix. Because you know who the number two was when he was healthy last? Jaron Hall. And Jaron Hall, uh, Baylor Romney went into the season as the number three. Like a co-two, but he was the number three. But he started the number two this year. Right, that's what I'm saying. Was that all based on the injury? What I'm saying is, yeah, yeah, it was was like a co-two, but yeah. When Jaron is healthy, what is Jaron? He was the backup. He was the next guy. When Zach, right, in 2019. So I I just, and Sol J. Maiava Peters is there. Sol J is a little ways off in this process. Sol J. Summer saying, ha, I'm going to show you, and I I hope he does. And maybe he will, right? But I, I love this because spring and fall, there is nothing more compelling, interesting, rich, amazing at BYU, yay, barely more than games, than a quarterback battle mm. at BYU. And we're going to see it with Baylor Romney and Jacob Conover. And if Jaron Hall's healthy, Jaron Hall's well. So I don't know. But I, if you told me any of those three are the starter, like we just fast forward, I just, you're, in a, you're in a coma until uh, you know, September, <laughs> boom. I would not be shocked at any of those three. 
That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.